Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is a very special episode of the Downtime Podcast where we'll be hearing from the man behind the Discovery ESO takeover of the Mountain Bike World Cup from 2023 onwards. You can either listen to this episode here or if you prefer to watch it, you can now do that over on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at Downtime Podcast. I'll also pop a link to the video in the show notes over on my website, downtimepodcast.com. If you're new to the podcast, don't forget to follow us so you're the first to get all of our episodes that go deep into the world of gravity mountain biking. You can do that by hitting follow in your podcast app now or by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow where there's buttons to help you do that on all the major platforms. I'd also love it if you give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook where we're at Downtime Podcast. All the links for all of that are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. All right, back in February last year, it was announced that Discovery would be taking over from Red Bull in covering the Mountain Bike World Cup. The man leading the team to do this is Chris Bull. Chris is an ex-World Cup downhill racer who built the Enduro World Series and now runs the ESO, a team of people who are going to be responsible for the Mountain Bike World Series for at least the next eight years. Over the past year, there's been a lot of speculation and concern over what will happen to the sport that we all love. Well, I was lucky enough to get a chance to chat to Chris to find out all about their plans. We cover a little bit of Chris's background, how Discovery got involved and why Chris sees this as a good thing for mountain biking. I ask him about the changes to the format, prize money, if we'll have to pay to watch the racing, who's going to be commentating and much, much more. So without further ado, here's Chris Ball. Chris Ball, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. It's been uh, quite a long time since we last had you on the show. How's things? No, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been it has been a while, hasn't it? But it's uh, it, yeah, it's been it's been good. It's been a busy time since we last spoke. <laughs> no doubt. Well, before we get started, I just want to say to you and to everyone listening, um, my plan for this is to take a balanced, neutral approach. Um, I want to hear from you, obviously. That's why you're here. But I also want to ask about things that fans and riders are telling me they've got questions or concerns over. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing my job, basically. Um, and I guess we may get to some things where you're not able to give full detail just yet, um, which is fine. I understand that. Um, if we do, if it's possible to give a timeline when you think you will be able to talk more about some of that stuff, then that's ace. Um, but I think it's it's only fair to expect that, you know, we don't have answers to everything straight away. Um, does that sound okay for you? Sounds perfect. Looking forward to it. Good. All right. Well, we've got lots to talk about. Um, before we do that, I think everyone knows you now as ESO guy, that's uh, how you're sort of seen within the mountain bike world. And and not everyone's going to know your background. So I think we should quickly recap a bit of that. Because um, first and foremost, you're a rider and a racer, right? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I'm a bike rider. I think that's kind of where it all came from and, and, and where, I, where, I, where I still am. So yeah, absolutely started in the, in the downhill world, um, race world cup pretty unsuccessfully for a number of years and realized my my talents were possibly best used on the <laughs> on the side of the desk. So uh, yeah, no, I stopped racing around the sort of 2006 uh, time and stepped into sports administration where I still live. Yeah, so you spent a bit of time at the UCI as well. What was it that you were doing there? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was a really interesting time to be part of the UCI. I was actually there for for five years, uh, focused on the the gravity disciplines, which at the time were four cross and downhill. Obviously, then became just downhill. Um, and it was a, it was a kind of combined role. So as a, what's called the technical delegate, it's a role that, you know, if there's any ski racers on the, uh, in the audience will know exactly what it means. It's the person who takes the rule book 
and there's the bridge between the commissaire and the kind of the referee, if you like, and actually the the application on on the course with the riders, you know, in the dirt, safety and, and everything else. So it's the kind of it's it's the sporting role, a very technical role, uh, linked, you know, exactly to the kind of uh, to the track itself first and foremost. And then there was also a kind of coordination piece, what, what the role was called sports coordinator. So pulling together the various different parts of the sport, you know, year round as it became. And obviously that was through the year of Red Bull coming in <clears throat> with a live broadcast and looking at how all that was integrated. So it was quite a, a you know, ultimately a full role that we, uh, I, I guess, expanded into what became my EWS job. Awesome. And I, I think something else that's kind of important in the context here is that you've definitely been known to take a stance against things you don't feel are right for the sport. Um, and I guess a good example of that is Calgary in <clears> 2004. <throat> Can you just give us a, a bit of info <laughs> about that? Cause I think it's kind of cool to, to know how much you care about this, uh, this world that we all live in. I wondered if you were going to go there. I was like, what lines is he going to sit? Right. So no, okay. So we're there. Um, I, I thought a lot about that day for however you know the decade and two well, two decades since since ultimately i think things weren't right you know then it was a minute plus course and headwind it was flat it wasn't what down on my bike should have been and i think i wasn't necessarily armed with a the knowledge or b the tools to be able to affect the change that i really felt was needed and, and uh, you know I, you know uh, you know kind of kicked back against the system in part you know with my team manager at the time um, to make some sort of statement that really all that I felt I could at the time ultimately statements like that don't necessarily make any difference but it, it did make it clear in my mind then that I really wanted to you know affect change and that, that really the way of doing that is with with the system and understanding and changing things from the inside rather than the outside so yeah I mean it's kind of been my life actually since then you know obviously we talk about the EWS and, and it, 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 creating an international sport from, you know, in, you know the, the great things that were happening in Europe and France, but it's, it's that making, making change and, and, and dealing with the, the, the huge pillars of sport that, um, that need to be worked with and the, the politics and the administration and everything else to, to really make a change. So yeah, from Calgary where it was a kind of a statement right through to now, it's, it's been a vein that's run through my, my life every single day of my, every single day, every single week. <laughs> yeah. And it's been, uh, it's been quite, quite a few, uh, few years, I think like 10 years or so now that you've been building the Enduro world series from, I guess, basically not existing to what's become a huge global series that attracts a lot of the top riders on the planet. Um, what do you think has been key to the success of, of EWS? Like what are you super proud of and, and what do you think's made it what it is? That's a big question. It's difficult because I always kind of I always have to try and catch myself and sometimes the team as well because you're always looking at what can be better and it's been a really I guess a nice time to actually look back on ten years of this kind of what has now with the Enduro World Cup launch being this cryogenically frozen decade in the sport of the Enduro World Series that's not going to that's not going to change that's that's happened and as you look back on the successes of it because you when you're in the thick of it you're always looking ahead. Um, I mean, I think I think it's always been enduro from day one. We didn't have. You know, when I first met Fred and Enrico. We were sitting on the grass in in Fréjou at the Rock d'Azur, and we agreed to make a go of it. We knew what we wanted to achieve and had no real idea of how we were going to achieve it. We just knew it had to happen. We thought it was right for the sport. We thought we had the right motives. <clears throat> Riding first, uh, experience, you know, connection to the trails, network, you know, often things that are kind of 
rolled out news, but actually were quite genuine in our motives. We had no, you know, strong financial plan. We had no, arguably, no business motives. It was like we wanted this thing to happen, and it was it was driven almost, you know, as, by the passion of us as bike riders. Um, and I think that that uh, that remained at the core of what we did. And so while we had to change and things had to become more formal, and we had to make steps. I knew that we had to make, you know, the integration of the DCI in 2019. These 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 processes that, as I said before. You know, to affect change, you have to make change from within. Well, we went through that process. The reality was, we were still bike riders wanting to ride in amazing parts of the world and and and, and provide something to people that was really very connected to what we love. And I think that was one of its biggest successes. Um, I think it also made us our own biggest critics, um, which is good and bad. But I think it's uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I think. Arguably, what what, what made it. Run and what gave it the energy? You know, for ten years that was that was full throttle, and it was and it, and it changed year on year. You look at that rule book every year. January rolled out a new rule book, and it was it was fundamentally different most years. And I always I kind of deeply thankful for the patience a lot of the riders you know had with us that we were just constantly kind of pulling the, the rug out from under their their feet. I had a funny conversation with Curtis Keane that was in. North Star, he'd retired and he came back and he, and he said, you know, the, the one thing that he said in, 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 in hindsight, in retrospect, was that whilst we complained a lot, actually being pushed all the time was, was really very good. Um, and I'd always said to them all the way through, look, you know, I, I want you all, and I say this to our staff team, you all need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's, it's fun and scary at the same time. But, it, you know, it was, again, it was part of that core, passionate, let's make this thing happen and let's make this thing better that was EWS. Yeah. And it seems like EWS was, was ticking along really nicely. Um, are you able to explain how discovery got involved in that in the first place? And also why, you know, what was it about that relationship that made you feel it was a good thing for the EWS? Yeah. I mean, I think we could probably go back a step because there's, there's two major steps, I think, and, and they had to happen in the, they had to happen the way that they happened. So we obviously, you know, as I mentioned, it was UCI with down on and, and four across at the time. Um, Enduro then we kicked off in a, with an international sport that needed, I knew needed international sanctioning and governance and neutral governance at a certain point. So the first few years, arguably the first, well, what became six or seven years, was working to keep progressing the sport whilst maintaining a really strong relationship with the UCI and understanding that at some point when the time was right, which was David Lapartin's presidency, we would we'd reach an agreement and install Enduro in in in, uh, in the UCI with international governance and doping everything that was crucial that came with that. And at that point, I knew that would then kind of decouple us as being the kind of de facto federation and, and organizers and, and kind of like, referees as well if you know what i mean you know we needed to be able to really grow things you need i think you really need to 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 separate governance and whilst it's uncomfortable no one wants to be told what to do sport needs that right it needs checks and balances and and, and the promoter arguably can't necessarily be that person so once we got the uci agreement across the line i think it really then focused um the mind, my mind very much on, right, what's the next step? This this sport is now official, if you like, in, in a very official sense. It was always official, but it was, you know, it was installed at the level that we needed it to be in a, in a governance perspective. 
the next step is very much then looking at the media broadcast component. So we've got this, we've got this sport now. It's integrated in the biggest, as I said, pillars of international sport. Broadcast is next, and and the conversation began, you know, with a number of different entities, ultimately uh, residing with with Discovery via um, GMBN and GCN, and and uh, and a conversation that I'd had with, with Simon Ware, their CEO, and a, and a real visionary, real visionary of of broadcast and and, uh, and mountain bike media, and cycling media, and that that led that led to where we are now. And what what was what was it about discovery that made that proposition attractive then obviously there's a big media reach there is that the main thing that you wanted for the ews at that point i think it's a couple of things um yes of course it's one of the world's largest sports broadcasters you know but i think i think what's really important and why we put it's the exact same uh philosophy that put put so much of my focus and energy on uci and governance is that i think you need to build really strong foundations you know to be able to grow very high and i think having a a true broadcaster that wakes up every day to broadcast sport whether it's tennis football or motorsport um obviously cycling there's now i think 600 live uh, broadcast cycling events on the various channels this year alone it's a home of cycling it's a true broadcaster and and i think that's what the sport needs and then that would allow further growth so just like UCI, you know, it's a it's a governance step. This is then that kind of um, really powerful, very uh, well motivated behemoth in the media space. And I think that's what we are now. I think what we now need to do with the wider sport of mountain bike, because I think it's 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 resided um, in a really good way. And it's allowed us to do. It. I mean, it's allowed us to create the EWS, but this very kind of core audience, and and we need to maintain that, and we need to pull it into the bigger the bigger way the world of sport and where I think it really belongs, you know, yeah. mountain bike alongside every other major sport in the world. Discovery, Warner Brothers Discovery allows us to do that. And how, at this point in time, how do you feel yeah. that relationship with Discovery has helped um, enable you to do on like the, on the EWS side of things? What do you feel that you've been able to achieve? Well, that's a good question. Um, there's a huge amount that goes in behind the scenes, you know, there's, 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 there's thousands of hours across the team of work a week, you know, and just putting together the, the, the back office to power all of this. And that's, that's been predominantly the support. It's been, it's been learning and integrating, as I said, with some of the biggest sports in the world and, 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 and taking good examples and taking expertise into, into mountain bike. So I think, you know, um, a lot of it's been in the, so far in the building of the, of the, of the team and the structures and then i think in the next well we've got obviously eight years with the uci across the wider what is now the uci mountain bike world series and all of the world cups um we'll start to see the actual power of that that work and that support come come to the fore but for the last few years it's it's been very much a building process you know, yeah a lot of it behind the scenes and was that building process with which we couldn't have, we couldn't have done on our own yeah fair was that building process with the ultimate goal of taking on the entire portfolio of mountain biking in mind or is that something that's kind of come along the way like tell us a little bit about how we get from discovery getting involved with you and ews to where we are today what uh, yeah i mean it's it's like the ews you know there's there's you'll always read conspiracy theories if this is where it was always going to go the reality of i think most things in life are completely different but i think 
again to go back to sort of a core philosophy that uh, that I live by is that we do generally generally we don't I don't believe in luck you know I think you, there's timing and there's preparation uh, and I say this a lot for those that know me well I think you you know when the timing's right if everything is repaired you can act on an opportunity and you can really you know light the touch paper and go for it likewise you know if you're if the timing's right but you're not prepared you can't possibly act on something and I think all of those years of AWS of putting in that that foundation step as I talk a lot about the UCI and that governance role because it's crucial and likewise with this you know the 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 economic um, platform, the the operational platform that we now have. There was not necessarily a long term plan, no, to 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 achieve what we've achieved, and certainly not in the time frame that that it that it that it's happened within. It's a lot more compressed than that, a lot. But it's um, it is a huge opportunity that arose through various different different ways and and, and means, and we were, we were able, we had the we had the group of companies we had the family we had the experience both in broadcast media and then obviously with us at the sports side to really go for it and so i think no it wasn't a huge grand plan uh specifically but arguably we were building something that allowed us to achieve it when it was ready which was last year so yeah, yeah there's no straight answer to that but i think it is very much part of of the fabric of what we try and do uh-huh Tell, tell us a little bit about the, the kind of deal itself, because from what I understand, it's a little bit different from the deal that Red Bull had, which was, I think, just the media right side of things. Can you explain a little bit about like mm. how it's structured and how it all fits together? Yeah, definitely. I think this is a huge piece that we that will take a few, you know, probably a few years to fully understand. So we are, uh, as Warner Brothers Discovery, collectively, you know, of which we're a part of that, uh, the promoter of the of the sport as well as the broadcaster so uci still sit in their governance role they have sporting power so rules regulations commissaires on the ground making decisions about the racing itself results rankings is is, is the uci where where it differs from the past was um the previous broadcaster would film come in and film what was what was happening if you like you know broadcast the amazing sport across the you know downhill short track cross country the, the organization on the ground of the events themselves and of the sport was then by each each individual organizer in different agreements across the year. There was no kind of um, homogenized year-round plan, no single point of contact, no single promoter for the sport, which is where for the last 10 years of AWS we've been moving to. We started off in 2013. It was just me. It was A lot of people don't know that. In 2013, it was just me. The AWS was just me and a number of incredibly dedicated, passionate local organizers, incredibly grateful too. And as we move through 14, 15, 16, more and more services kind of came in house. So timing, entry, and ultimately then, um, you know, different parts of the, the marketing communications and the plan was broadcast. But a lot of that still sat locally. And with the World Cup, everything sat locally at each event. So um, there wasn't necessarily a, a 365 day a year coordinated plan around the mountain bike world cup if that makes sense um that's all changed so we now have uh all of the rights for the broadcast but also for all of the events the calendar the planning the commercial rights so we can really we can really engage at every level and connect it to everything else for the next eight years which is it which is a huge um 
architectural change. So we still have local organisers in each country, but we'll be doing a lot more to support them and a lot more unity. So, you know, a lot of what we've heard from the riders of the last few months, especially in downhill, is you know safety, course design. We are we have a team and a growing team that are dedicated to that, and we'll be able to you know look from event one to event two and, and supply equipment, you know, wherever it might be, and then year two, year three to actually roll out those plans and make those changes. It's not just turning up on the Monday, delivering something, closing down the Sunday, moving to the next venue, which would be a different team, which is the previous model. So there's a lot of, it's a huge project over pretty much every every area of the, of the sport and its operations at World Cup level. Um, but it gives us the ability to actually deliver where previously the structure didn't allow for the delivery. So, And of course, with a broadcaster too. <laughs> So we yeah. get to film it and, and you've, broadcast it. You've had to, I guess. So big, big change. Yeah, start to put together the team to do all of this stuff. Like when, when did that start? Like how many of you mm. were there when you, when you sort of kicked this off? And where are you at now? And and how do you see that continuing to grow into the future? I mean, it's been a fast year. You know, I think we 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 announced in in June of, of twenty twenty two. We were, you know, we we actually began you know, in 2023. So this month, January, 2023, so that, you know, the teams are all registered with UCI now will soon, you know, be really kind of taking over that, that handling of those, those, those relationships on the ground across the events. So for the last year, it's been putting in place the team needed for, for delivery this year across everything from, as I said, broadcast, you know, uh, you know and that includes filming commentary, everything else it includes obviously the marketing team, sports and events team. So I couldn't actually tell you, um, the exact number of, of people now, but it's 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 pretty vast. And as as part of this wider group, Warner Brothers Discovery, we have um, people now dedicated to mountain bike across the group in the different areas of you know sales, legal, broadcast, marketing, uh, operations, everything. So we've got a dedicated team here in Scotland of just under thirty now on on this project on this uh, on the Mountain Bike World Cup. Um, but then I obviously lead the team across across the world in all those different areas so a lot of people and a lot of energy and a lot of excitement around mountain bike across the whole group yeah which is which is really cool to see and quite a few names uh coming into the mix that i recognize from racing <laughs> back in the day there's uh definitely some old races coming on board yeah and Good. there'll be more to come i'm sure excellent plenty of known faces i think it's a bit like with the enduro World series and you know fred and rico fred started the french series and rico copied then copied him as he always says there was super enduro and kind of we've been in the sport for so many years that you know we know whilst i think and that's the great thing that we've got whereas we've got that specialism but also the the, the weight and the power and the support of this massive entity behind us so you'll see there'll be a lot of faces coming in that are new and a lot of faces that are they're very well known and respected. Good stuff. I think I want to talk about some of the kind of initial concern that came out when this was all announced back in June last year. And I think like a lot of people felt like the EWS coverage had perhaps gone backwards a little bit over like the previous 12 months um, since the discovery involvement. Um and there's clearly a lot of challenges with broadcasting a sport that is so geographically spread out. It's not straightforward, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because it that a lot of the sort of initial commentary around this was like, well, I don't see that they've done a great job so far with EWS. Like, how would you how would you reflect on that? 
Um, I think it's I think it's I think it's a fair point if you're just you know watching from what was happening. The reality is these are two completely separate things. You know, we were so the the beginning of that process. Obviously, we you know we've always produced everything in house as a team. We've got a very small core team of either full time you know uh, videographers or, or Rick, for example, who, you know is well known being from the camera. And then uh, a bunch of freelancers who worked with for many years. The, that that didn't actually change. The the, the discovery component was still remained us. It still remained us. We did try a number of different things, you know. And I think, as I said before, we've always, I think, um, and I've always been proud of our of our willing to try new things and then learn from them and either, you know, go back to the old way or 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 or, or learn and move on and fine tune them. So we tried a bunch of new things, which I think coincided with that time. In the reality, there's also the fact that we were still making highlight shows in the enduro space, um, in the same kind of arguably the same model with the same team as before. Um, this is completely different. This is live broadcast. This is a completely different um, uh, departments and, and, and expertise and, and funding and financing and everything. So they're not even comparable. But I do understand that people are saying, "Well, hang on." Enduro, EWS isn't live right now and now they're going to do the World Cup how's that going to possibly be the case they're completely different behind the scenes okay. and uh, a huge uh, different firepower of uh, of individuals and, and, and budget and, and approach okay yeah that makes sense so I want to I want to pick out a quote from you which I think sets out nicely kind of what you're trying to achieve and then maybe we can go through that and talk about some of those elements so I think it was one of the early quotes that said over the coming years We'll improve the cycling disciplines, environmental credentials, push forward course design, innovate safety standards and give fans an entirely new experience whilst making mountain biking more accessible than ever before, which sounds awesome. So let's let's go through that and give you the opportunity, I guess, to tell us a bit about each of those elements, like how you see it, what the vision is and maybe like what the pathway to that is, because I'm assuming that this isn't just a switch that you flick and overnight all of these things are done. So Let's start off with the um, the like environmental credentials because it's a, it's a challenging one for sure, but definitely an area that we should be focused on as a sport. Definitely, and and I think there's also I think there's also a reality piece here that that's you know you you just quoted quoted me. That's a very easy thing to say, and it's a very hard thing to do. And at, at the moment, a lot of people say say those words. It's an international sport that we take around the world. There's no there's no doubt about that, and that in this very nature has its has its environmental footprint challenges, but it can be done a lot better. And I think it needs to be the core uh, part of every decision-making. So, you know, here in our team, I always say, look, everyone has to make a decision about something every day. If there's a way it can be done with a lower footprint, it should be done in that direction if possible, you know? So I think uh, to calendar planning, as I mentioned, one of the biggest changes from the previous structure is we now plan the calendar. We now manage the events, if you like. So, reduce just simply reducing travel which is the single biggest footprint component you know making things make more sense less less flights for possibly more racing or at least the same amount of racing you know that's something that we we fundamentally are doing you'll see that with the 23 calendar but you'll see longer term as we get into more of a rhythm where we want to go with the calendar and blocks of racing it's more um common sense calendar planning that will just naturally reduce the footprint of people moving around the globe. There's also, as I said as well, the sport's never had a single promoter. So we'll be um, we'll be ordering or contracting or whatever it might be, supplying um, items across a year. 
So there's a there's a way we can actually look at the the environmental um, impact of those items and how they're rolled out, you know, operationally, and making good environmental sound decisions. So things like single use plastics. Globally, we'd love to remove that from our events. We can start to make those moves. Some of this stuff's going to take years to put in place, but we can start to do it because we now actually have control of the whole year and all of the events. Um, you know, and, and you'll see you go into different countries, the environmental policies and standards vary a lot, but we can start to unify them, at least within our world, which is the Mountain Bike World Cup. So I think there's um, a big statement, big grand statement, but it's it's part of, I think, it's a big part of Warner Brothers' discovery. It's, it's always been a big part of us and me personally. Um, and we actually have the ability to affect that change now because we're looking after the whole the whole year and multiple years. So you'll see you'll see some things start to change, and in time, we'll you know we'll start to be able to do more and more operationally that has lower and lower footprint as we get our feet under the table. Good stuff. All right, let's talk about pushing forward course design then, and and I you know that doesn't necessarily just apply to downhill, I mm. guess as well. No, it's everything. Uh, you know, I think I think cross country. Olympic and obviously with short track has been incredible in that space. I think, you know, in terms of shortening and, and, and building the courses, the, the Olympic course designer for the last few Olympics is now in our staff team, Nick Flores out of South Africa. Um, and, and I, you know, and to use that as an example, that's someone now that will be looking at the course design um, for every World Cup and making sure that it meets the standard as we want to say. And that's where the real the really exciting part is also by being the broadcaster, by saying, well, this is how we want the sport to, to, to look and how we want the racing to be and what the athletes and what the teams are asking for. We actually can integrate all those parts. So Nick's already started looking at course cross country courses um, and, and where they need to go, you know, what needs to change on the downhill side is exactly the same. I mentioned each organizer has so far had its own uh, team dedicated to the course. We now have uh, Alex Ballot, who many people know from the French Enduro Series, but also he was in charge of the course Leger Downhill World Championships last year, being a large part of the French Downhill team with the French Federation. So he's looking after um, course design and different sporting elements under Ruri Cunningham, who's our director of sport for gravity. Um, and again, speaking to organizers already months out and looking at course design, carrying out site visits, actually saying, well, where can we make things safer? Where can we make things better for the rider? Where can we make things better for the spectator, better for the broadcast? And planning it now, you know, and even looking at 2024-25, where my head's already at, where does courses I need to be then? Or how does that venue need to build that infrastructure? Which is conversations that have never been able to really happen before with a previous model. So that's that's also exciting. We also have to be patient in many ways because courses are expensive and take a long time to build and half the venues are under snow for half the year so some places we can make quick change some we can't but it's part of our it's part of our full-time team now so yeah that's good to hear how do you look at that balance between like broadcasting a race and making the race challenging technically for the riders because Obviously, stripping out trees is a really good way to make the race easier to broadcast, making it faster, putting big jumps in. But it does feel like over a period of time, probably since you were racing World Cups, tracks have got less slower speed technical elements to them. Not not completely, but it feels like it's heading in that direction. What's your take on that side of things? Mm -hmm. I think you used the right word, balance. You know, and So a large part of why... 
so to go way back, to go, to go way, way back, the original plan when I was at UCI around Enduro, which didn't work out and that led to the EWS, was to create a participation discipline that really was the 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 racing that reflected mountain bike. You know, what we go and do in the weekend. And downhill, you know, as I mentioned at the time, Red Bull coming as broadcast, it really needed to become more broadcastable. You know, I think Beijing Olympics and the cross country was one of the most, if not the most expensive sport to broadcast at the entire Olympics because it was in the trees, long course, loads of switchbacks and over 50 cameras. Um, and, so, and, and so, you know, whilst we've got, uh, we've got a sporting need here to make sure courses are great for riders, we've also got the reality that cross country downhill need to be televised and that needs to be economically possible and viable. So there's a balance, right? And enduro, and why I think marathon is crucial in the endurance space as well, are the disciplines that really allow us to make sure that mountain biking, the sport that we all love to do, remains, right? They're the mountain bikers' disciplines, racing disciplines. That's like the the, the wide part of the base of the pyramid is the way I always see it. <clears throat> so I think for downhill, there does need to be, and I think some of the changes have been really good in course design because it's made it more exciting to watch, and we need to keep making it more exciting to watch. But it'll come with a balance of a celebrating the local terrain and the venue. If it's a forested venue, you're not going to want to cut down all the trees. Let's go back to your previous point about environmental impact. Um, if it's a high alpine, open grassy pasture, fantastic. You know, so I think it needs to still feel local. It still needs to celebrate the kind of the global nature of mountain bike. But we need to try and create um, a bit more structure around it to make it really compelling on TV to really grow the audience and what the writers are doing now is just so fascinating and so amazing i think we've got a real job to do to take that to the to the viewer um and that yeah i mean that's going to make that's going to take some changes but i don't think they're negative and i think with marathon enduro we very purposely got mountain biking as a core part of our operation you know it's like that's that's who we are i talked about the start that's who i am that's who most people in the office, you know, are pick up their bikes that we kind of go ride. So, but we can't, everything can't be everything all the time. And, uh, and cross country's done a great job of, you know, it's, it's amazing racing and it's gone undergone a lot of change driven, you know, by that Olympic, as I said, that Olympic pressure. But then you look at London 2012, you know, 4.6 kilometers. It's now under four kilometers lap. The sport's still absolutely incredible. The TV's getting better and we need to take that, energy and put it into downhill and see where it needs to go and take the riders obviously with us you know but with Ruri with Alex with the team uh, looking at that year round I think uh, I think there's some good work to do there really there really is yeah okay and let's let's talk about innovating safety standards I think there's some significant overlap there with course design for sure um, and I don't know kind of what's been driving this but we've seen it feels like we've seen a lot more concussion-based issues in the last 12 months than we've ever seen on the World Cup circuit. Mm. I don't know if that's because races are getting faster as an average speed. I don't know if bikes are just getting that much better or if it's just that we've got more awareness around it and there's more people talking about it than there ever was before. But, yeah, give us your thoughts on mm. on where you're heading on the safety standard side of things because ultimately looking after the riders is super important. It is. Yeah, exactly. It is. And, and I think, um, so, you know, as I mentioned before, there's, a there's, there's, there's clear lines of responsibility, you know, technically. So the UCI safety and regulation is, is, is the sporting power is the UCI. 
but there's also a, a an absolute responsibility on us as the promoters, the organisers, that you know the, the course designers to have safety at the heart of what we do as well. So there's there's two parts to this. Um, I think we're looking already at you know medical standards and how we can start to make sure they're they're more standardised over the year. Again, that's not given we're in so many countries and you know this is year one. That's again also going to take time standardized creating standards take a lot of time to roll out but at least we're now looking at it as a part of what we do it's always been a large part of what we did with ews i never wanted to take too much risk with the rider on a you know an island in the middle of the atlantic or whatever without really knowing that actually it was relatively uh you know it was mitigated risk you know it was it was it was understood risk and we did a three-year medical study in enduro um looking at where injuries came from um so I think we need to roll that philosophy, and we already have started to roll that philosophy into downhill, predominantly first and foremost. Um, and then looking at you know course marking and course design and how that, because ultimately if you can stop people crashing, not so much making things softer to hit, if you can actually stop them crashing, which is usually the course design, then you've solved most of the problem. So there's, 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 there's loads of areas to this. And then with the concussion side, I think there's, you're right, I think there's a huge there's a huge element of increased awareness around concussion, which is why we're seeing a lot more of it, which is very good. I think there's another uh, big piece there of education that we need to be a part of and, and work with the UCI on um, to make sure we're educating the wider audience on concussion and protocols and standards. Um, and then just looking again, you know, so uh, Rory just yesterday was a, a course marking um, safety um, supplier, you know, padding or whatever to again create standards across the year which is way more uh, where other sports already are and have been for years. And we use, I, I'm a skier as well. Ski World Cup fists are an incredible spot with this, you know, with the different regulated fencing, with everything around the, the kind of um, the hardware that's on a course. So let's look, we're already looking at it and let's look at that. So course design, education awareness, you know, medical standards, um, and then the, the, the hardware that we put on a course to market are all parts of the safety piece. It's a very complex, multifaceted topic, but it's one that I think is crucial to, to get right. 100%. Let's move on to the, the final kind of piece of this. And I think this is the one where the forums generally erupt. Give fans an entirely new experience whilst <laughs> making mountain biking more accessible than ever before. Tell us what that means to you, because I think that's the crux <laughs> of all of this. And then how you see that like playing out. And I'm sure that'll lead us into further questions. I can see, having heard that back, I can see why people went, what entirely new experience, what, what's going on? We're not making downhill go uphill. Don't worry, you know. Um, it, it's more, the, the sport is in an amazing place. And as a, I think hopefully you can feel just from, you know, me talking, we're all big fans of everything that's going on across all the different disciplines formats. I think the, there's a huge amount more we can bring to the, the fan on site and off site. I think we can, you know, be really nice to make sure, you know, it was really interesting for me attending, I think almost every, I think I missed one down the line, one cross country world cup last year, going as a, going as a, as a fan purposely and saying, right, how does this event feel to attend? And how do I, how do I find out who the, the current champions are and how can I maybe get their, their autograph or engagement or whatever and working out how is a, how we can improve that, that fan experience on site, you know, so that's a large part of what we're doing. How is the sports presented? Uh, and we're bringing in a lot of suppliers around that, you know, to, to present the sport better on site, make it look better and make it more exciting. 
make it easier to understand what's going on across the different racing formats. And then I think from a broadcast perspective and from a, as I said, a 365 day of the year perspective. So we've already launched a website, ECIMTBWorldSeries.com will be launching an app. They'll be the, they'll become the homes of the sport across the different formats, really helping us promote the athletes and the results and rankings and data. And if you're a fan, you can dive in there, you know, so over the next years, that'll just become this bigger and bigger year round resource. And then pulling that data also into live broadcast as well. So helping people actually really understand the amazing feats that are ongoing on the course of the different riders in the different formats, you know, and that's a large part of what we're doing is how can we, when you're, you know, when you're a rider, you know, the amazing things that Lloyd Bernier is doing. And when you're standing at the side of the track and, and he goes past, you're like, that's, that's, that's insane. It doesn't always translate onto TV. How can we do that? So that new fan experience is bringing in more of that rich information and being part now of such a big group has been fascinating. So we're looking at, you know, how, how this is done across cycling, you know, the major cycling um, races of Tour de France, for example, motorsport as well, which are really far down the road in terms of live data, track cycling, discovery sport events deliver the, the track champions league and live data is a huge core part of that. So from heart rate to power to everything else. Um, live onboard cameras so um, by being this by being part of this huge family the meetings we have daily and weekly and internally now we're just saying well how does that happen how can we pull that into mountain bike how can we how can we find out how long someone's in the air for and get that on get that onto tv and these are all conversations that we're having so when i say entirely new experience it's not fundamentally changing the sport it's hopefully making the sport even more captivating through just telling people what's going on that's already already going on with the athletes so yeah that's hopefully hopefully describes that a little bit better all right let's let's talk about the tv product then because that's i think one of people's biggest questions will like will they have to pay mm. what does that look like is there a free-to-air version are you able to tell us a bit about like how you see the broadcast looking at least for, at least for this year anyway maybe i'm sure it will change a bit over time but yeah, I mean, I think so. It'll sit globally on GCN Plus, which yeah, which is a subscription platform. I mean, um, there's all the road racing and everything on there as well. It's you know, it's, it's a huge amount of cycle racing, but yeah, there's a there's a there's a pay component, Discovery Plus, Eurosport player as well. So different parts of the world, and will be really clear in the next few weeks and months where you can watch it. And a lot of that will be on subscription platforms, but we're also looking at in front of the paywall options as well. We're really looking at. We want to broadcast a lot more of what's happening on site. And I think is with the new semi-final format in downhill, we're looking at how we can broadcast that. Uh, the junior racing as well in downhill, the U23 racing in cross country and where they sit in front or behind paywalls all all open uh, for discussion at the moment internally and how we can sort of technically roll things out. But then there'll also be various broadcasters around the world. So before each event, there'll be you know a list again, website and where, when the app launches, there'll be the, where to go to see it but yeah i mean ultimately the heart the, the reality is that a lot of it will sit on subscription platforms but i think i think in this day and age that's um i think that's i think that's acceptable and i think we need to really make sure that we can create an economic model to invest into the sport and grow the whole thing as well um because ultimately that's what we need to do to help pay more prize money and make the sport bigger so do you are you able to tell us whether we'll be able to see the downhill final free to air do you think or not uh i think it'll depend where you are in the world i mean gcn plus discovery plus and and, and again that's quite a complex 
if you already have Eurosport, for example, then yeah, you won't have to pay for it because it'll be on there. And there's, 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 there's millions of people with that already, you know. So it'll depend what you have and what. It's a, it's a quite a complex one to answer. And I think we have, uh, and I'm not dodging the question because, yes, people will have to pay. Some people will have to pay. Some, some might not. Some might already be paying. Um, but previously, there was one place to watch. And that was it. The plan for us is very much to, there'll be many places to watch. Some will be in front, some will be behind paywalls, some will have you know, different things. So it's more of a, it's more of a, a complex answer than just black and white, as I think as it was previous. Do you know, yeah, GCM Plus, which is a paid for platform, will be globally accessible. Do you know when the announcement's likely to be made for people so that they can actually find out like based on where they live and what? packages they current have currently have what they will and won't be able to see kind of thing or what they'll have to pay for yeah i mean i think uh, there's no fixed date i mean we already put out the information with the launch of the brand and the website last week that gcn plus discovery plus and uh, and eurosport player again they de- gcn plus is global that based the other ones are are dependent on territory they uh, guaranteed they'll be available there so if you have them fantastic if you want to subscribe then subscribe uh, anything else will come out in the coming sort of weeks as we build into the season fair enough fair enough and then i think the other <laughs> probably the, the maybe even the biggest question was uh around who's going to be doing the commentary a huge amount of support understandably <laughs> for rob uh i think rob's done a fantastic job for his time through freecaster and red bull and has earned a place in the hearts of every mountain bike race fan on the planet um and we know at this stage that rob isn't going to be doing the commentary staying with red bull can you just tell us a little bit about the commentary side of things from your perspective because i mean i'm guessing you would have wanted rob like, i don't know but yeah i mean, we had, I mean yeah i mean rob go way back we had a, we had a conversation with rob um no doubt about it i mean i'm not going to go into the the details that's not for the, for this uh for this audience but we did have a conversation unfortunately you're right it, yeah the contract didn't work out we will be announcing full commentary team in the coming weeks you know, but it will be a, it will be a, a different approach and a bigger team than before. We're going to bring in uh, field reporting, trackside live commentary. We'll obviously have commentators in the booth and and a pre and post show as well presented. So it'll be a different structure than than before. Really exciting, actually. The, you know, the plan to tell more of the stories, more of the stories of the riders, more of the more of the energy at the events as well. So it'll be a, a bigger, different structured team. Who's on that will be uh, will be out in the next few weeks. Okay. Fair enough. And you've talked about this before. I think you intend to broadcast at least for the finals, uh, full runs. Have you got to the bottom of how that will work yet? Cause getting enough cameras on track to film a full run, I assume is probably still cost prohibitive even with the support of a, a company like uh, Warner brothers discovery. Is it going to involve onboard? Like how are you seeing that working? I think this is a really good so this goes back to a lot of what we've talked about, right? So, you know, I said that because that's a goal that I think we need to achieve. I was at, you know, at Leger, the World Championships, watched Lloyd's incredible run, and we we, you know, we didn't see a huge chunk of it, right? And I, th- I think as a sport, you know, you talked about from a course perspective, you said earlier, course design and broadcasting, how do you find the balance? This is a crucial point. How can we, How can we achieve that statement? And a lot of that does come down to course design because there's only so many minutes in a day and so many minutes broadcastable and there's only so many riders that can fit um, on a track, right? And so at the moment, you've got multiple riders on the track. 
it can uh, it can change in uh, in length from almost five minutes to under three minutes. There's not many sports in the world that will change 250% in course length. And so you can't create a broadcast plan. You can't create an event schedule with that level of discrepancy. And that's where the standardization kind of comes in. So some courses, you know, I think under, or, or I think around that three minute mark um, will be much more achievable. And then you mentioned trees and everything as well than some of the longer courses. And so our job very much long-term and we already have is started looking at that and saying, well, what is, what, what does the sport need? You know, there's obviously a, if you made it all one minute, it'd be easy to broadcast, but it wouldn't be the downhill that we all know and love. So where, where do we find that balance? But how can we, how can we standardize it? Because at the moment, as I said, with no annual planning, if the sports previously had, you'll have uh, Fort William, for example, that's, you know, needing 66% more budget and cameras than the previous round or even more than that. So you can't suddenly just do that from one week to the next. And you can't put that on TV because you can't suddenly have a broadcast window that's that much larger than the last one. So that's where the semi-final concepts come in. You know, we're really looking at how we create um, a 30-man, 10-women uh, final to create a much better um, package that we can increase the intervals between the riders so that we can then have the opportunity to show more. And then that's where the course design comes in and that's where the long-term plan comes in. So we've got an eight-year run at this minimum. We've got these pretty ambitious plans, and that's exactly where we need to go. But there's not one answer to that. But the, the semi-final, the looking at the course design, the engaging venues long-term, these are all huge parts to achieve that. And we started already, but it's not an overnight answer. Got you. Okay, so we might not necessarily see full runs from every race in 2023, but it's a longer term goal. Is that fair? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got you. We'll talk a bit more about the semi-final stuff in a minute because I think that's really important. But something else that's been talked around when we're covering the media side of things is I think people are worried that they might lose some of what they've grown to love. Like the coverage of the World Cup is so rich and varied these days with rider vlogs, team videos, you know, podcasts. I, I would uh, hate to live without Win TV. Like, how do you look at that side of things? Because obviously you've got this huge broadcast company that can bring a lot to things, but there's already a lot of existing media within the sport that people, you know, genuinely love and get a lot out of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, like this podcast right now, I, I, there's absolutely no uh, ambition or motivation or, or a reason why that would change. You know, I think some things, I think we need to put a bit more structure in, in, in various, you know, ways, but I think that will help those working in that space, you know, create more value themselves around what they do. You know, the sort of, um, the, the, the value of the teams, the way media integrate and accredit everything else, but the structure doesn't, isn't a bad thing, uh, you know, allow everyone to know their operational kind of boundaries and where they go. So, Yes, there'll be additional processes, but there'll be there's absolutely no plan to reduce any of that. Why 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 would we? You know, that it doesn't make sense. So I think you always have to look at what's the what's the huge focus here. That's the that's the live racing. Everything else, the, the course walks, the behind the scenes with the teams you mentioned, Win TV, you know, we're big fans of Win TV. There's no reason to try and to try and change any of that, but we do actively want, you know, want to try and help formalize some of that because i think it's what what we need to collectively grow it's uh 
it's a massive sport with huge potential that I think would benefit a little bit sometimes from just a bit more a bit more guidelines and a bit more process but not in a bad way not in a bad way at all and that that sounds like what does that mean but it just means a bit more a bit more control in some ways and not um but yeah I mean that's all everyone's welcome journalists of course you know it's uh we're, we're the promoter the broadcaster we're also the you know the event organizer we're not going to want to cut attendance of, of journalists and, and and media output um in the you know in the various vlogs and whatever you've talked about so okay all right good to hear yeah, don't worry about that okay let's let's talk about the downhill format changes that were announced fairly recently then because i think that caught quite a lot of people by surprise i think people felt like okay well things might change over time they're probably not going to come in overnight and shake it up too much and then that announcement came in i think blindsided some mm. people um tell us a bit about that addition of the semi-final and the structure change you've already alluded to the fact that it long term it can help with the goal of broadcasting full runs um and and making that chunk of the weekend more tele televisable i guess is the right word Give us a bit more background on why that semi-final exists and perhaps how you see that evolving over time. Yeah, I think uh, it's, a good, it's a good point. I think there's a couple of things. One, I've already mentioned that already I'm working 24, 25 beyond. So we, we need to, you know, and there's some things that have become apparent that we need to put some quicker changes in to start to see their fruition, you know, sooner rather than later, right? Um, so there's that element. There's the fact that we, downhill's in an interesting space, because there's not the pathway of events that are needed, I think, to really support the World Cup. And there's actually been a, there's been a sort of decline. Obviously, the pandemic in the events world and the racing world's not exactly been a fair uh, optic way of measuring, you know, that. But in general, I think we really need to work to uh, creating the World Cup and elevate, elevating the World Cup position globally, right? We can't at the moment reduce the number of riders, and we said we would reduce the number of riders qualifying for a World Cup in terms of actually getting to a World Cup because there's just not the global pathway. There's just not the amount of European or North American or or, or, or events around the world in downhill to where those riders go, mm -hmm. okay, and on what level would they be able to compete at. And you always have to be careful with changes in sport that you look at what you want to achieve now, but how that's also then going to impact three, four years down the line, because that's the reality of where you start to see that change. If we came in and said, it's only 30 men, 10 women at an event, we'd be fine for the next one or two years, but chaos in three to four years, right? So you, there's a real responsibility to look long-term with these changes. And so the semi-final was a way for us to say, look, there's only 30 men broadcast at the moment. The women uh, start further uh, earlier on in the day. So they're not necessarily in the live. There's there's 30 men that sit between that, so there's quite a disconnect. Uh, we want to promote the women's racing, so bring it closer to the men's racing. We need to not change the amount of riders that are currently broadcast, which was previously 30, still 30, because it's contractual components. We need to secure the fact that a rider starting in 60th might have a dry track or whatever a storm comes in and suddenly the winner's not even on TV that doesn't that just fundamentally from a broadcast perspective in a sport doesn't work when we're talking about trying to broadcast a whole run you can't intrinsically have the situation where you might not have any of the run 
So there was a format issue, fundamental issue. Um, so we didn't, we couldn't change the top. We didn't want to change the top. We wanted to promote women's race. So that's the 30. We, we really wanted to look at promoting the, 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 the women's racing. Um, and we learned from, from EWS that we, we put a chunk of the women right in against the top 30 men. So we split the men's field in the EWS to bring, that's purely to bring the women closer to the front of the men's race so that as the crowd and the media move through the day, both categories get equal coverage. And it's worked really well over the last, I can't remember the year we installed that, but it was a long time ago. So we took that a bit of that knowledge um, and we took the fact that looking at the global state of the sport, we need to take time to put in pathway events or work with local organisers to, to support the pathway. Um, so we so we maintained the entry point to World Cup and just tidied up the sharp end and let's see where that takes us in the next two, three years. But we're going to have to continue to make changes that was a big change. Um, as I said, it didn't change the, the top and the bottom, but it added a middle. Um, I hope the women's racing benefits a bit from it. It gives us a much better position to to start work on that broadcast and the full run component, um, which, as I said, with course design, takes years to roll out. So the more we, the more I we analysed the last year, the more we went, look, there's some stuff here that actually just needs some pretty fundamental change. Um, and we've highlighted the areas and I think that's also a large part of this. So what we launched was the, the mountain bike world series, right? That's not to take over the world cup. That's to elevate the world cup and celebrate each one of its formats, but allow us now to engage with pathway events as well. And we, we did that with EWS 100. We split it when we joined with the UCI uh, into sort of the UCI event, which is the EWS and, the, and an amateur event that need a license, uh, low barrier to entry, the 100. I think that kind of model we really need to look at hard for downhill. Um, and that's going to take a few years to install. So I think we've got a first step here. We've got a brilliant home now under the World Series. We've got the World Cup. We've got some good format changes. We've still got a lot to do, definitely. <laughs> Fair, yeah. How do you look so, at that? So that's a big answer for uh, why the semi-final, but I think it's pretty multi no, it, yeah, multifaceted answer. It's it pretty complex. Yeah, it definitely helps me understand the reasons behind it uh, a lot more. How do you look at the addition of the semi-final from a risk perspective? Because we've got this safety element to the work, and we're introducing another mm. full pace run, and the points are pretty heavily stacked mm -hmm. on it as well. So there's a, 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 an incentive to go all in. How do you balance the risk versus what you're trying to do with format and developing the sport in that way? Great question. And as I said, it's something that we kind of take really, really seriously as part of every one of our decisions. When I was racing and actually when I was early days, when I was at the UCI, the qualifying used to take place on the same day. And actually that was a change to the schedule that I, I'd made uh, along with uh, Red Bull at the time was because we had downhill was better attended in those years ago, there was more riders at an event. There's less now. And the the qualifying took so long with, you know, sometimes 140, 60 plus riders that you couldn't squeeze it in in the morning. And it, and it, and it put the broadcast window, which is uh, something that the schedule has to be set in stone at real risk. You had a lot of riders, a lot of potential for red flags, whatever, right? Um, so the, the qualifying was moved to the day before, um, because of that, it wasn't a safety issue. There was never an issue with two rider doing two runs. There was, there was just never a factored in to that. 
So, so if you look historically, that's one part. And I think when you make these decisions, you need to never use one piece of evidence, right? You need to look at a lot of different things. The sport's also evolved, as you said, you know, courses have changed since then as well. Um, we've looked at a lot of things, time training, multiple runs over an hour and a half uh, window, which is way more compressed time window than, than, um, than the semi-final final will take take place in and riders at times in the time trading window for example that are doing multiple runs aren't often that far off the final so there's also some evidence there that we can look at to say well riders can achieve that I'm also personally kind of concerned that if a rider can't do two runs if it's that high risk then we've got a deeper safety issue than the semi-final format we need to be looking at the sport if, if it's that high risk I genuinely believe there's a bigger problem so we need to Again, look at course design, safety, all that side of it as well, and bring that in. Um, it's achievable in other in other sports. Um, multiple competitions on the same day, you know, much much longer, much more exposure against a clock or whatever it would be. And then also looking at the injury rate in the last year, what riders were injured and where, you know, in in training versus qualifying versus race and. And what is the actual exposure to risk in reality to against the clock in a final? And again, there's no clear picture. There's no clear evidence there that says actually a final is higher risk in terms of injury than, than, than qualifying or, or time training or training. So we really take time to look at all of that and then make a decision. And we'll never just stick our sort of finger in there and say, this is where we want to go because of broadcast. We need to go there, I think, because of broadcast. We need to go there to make the sport more compelling. We need to go there to make the sport, uh, bring the women more into the heart of the event and into the broadcast and grow the sport. We need to look at the pathway. Um, we need to look at the risk and where those injuries are coming from and, 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 and manage that as well. So it's uh, <laughs> an internet forum or a podcast It can be kind of, it's hard to give a straight, quick answer, but these these we dedicate hundreds of hours to these topics internally. We'll debate them long and hard for a very long period of time. And I think that's the only way we can truly come up with an answer. And I also think, sorry, I'm talking a lot, so we're talking in questions. Um, I think, you know, I think we very much aim to make change, as I said, when you asked me that very first question on the podcast, we want to affect change. Change, you're never going to get right every time. But what you do need to do is use evidence to make a decision and then learn from that decision and move forwards all the time. As I said, cross country have done it well. It's It's been a core part of, of the EWS. So I think from a points perspective, look, let's look at that. There'll no doubt need fine tuning. You'll never make a mistake if you never do anything in life. You, If you want to guarantee you're always going to be perfect, just never do anything. You know, so I think we're very much of that. Use what we can, inform our decision, and make educated, uh, educated changes. And then we'll see where we go. Yeah. All right. Fair. <clears throat> let's Sorry, just, big answer for no, no, you're all, <laughs> you're all good. Let, let's talk a little bit about, I guess, sort of stakeholder management. You've got, um, obviously the fans mm. and, you know, you're talking to them today to some extent through the podcast and you've done some other things there. Um, but then within the sport, you've got, uh, yeah. like, team managers groups for the different disciplines there's the riders union now for downhill like how is all that fitting together mm -hmm. and how how is that working do you feel like everyone's kind of bought into where you're heading where your vision is or where the discovery vision is 
Uh, I think everyone's a huge term, right? You know, and and you just mentioned a huge amount of different stakeholders. I think some some were bought in than others, and then within those groups, some more than others, depending on their background or where they want to see it go. We're dealing with thousands of people um, uh, across Olympic formats, you know, teams, brands, manufacturers, uh, athletes, media, as you mentioned before. Um, so you're not going to please everyone all the time. So when you say everyone, I'd say, well, no, that's just not, that's just not the reality. And I'm, I'm a realist. One thing that really struck me was when we, it became apparent pre-announcement that we, you know, we were kind of leading this, this, this change. We had a huge amount of, of influx, as you'd expect, of feedback and ideas and connection and, and to an over, overwhelming point. There's last year, when you look at just the number of professional teams registered in the different formats, there was over 200. So that's over 200 teams. Each team has multiple riders across, as I said, different formats, some of which are Olympic. So you bring in federations there as well. Then you've got fans in each one of those camps. We put in a, uh, or we we began, I, I highlighted very clearly, very early on, that there was a really clear need to put in some structure to help us get that feedback, you know, across those different groups. So we put in a, a working group model, which, again, as I talked to you before about course design and everything, these things take a huge amount of time to install and build and then actually kind of normalize uh, in everyone's kind of processes. This, this is how I did it. What, what, what really stood out to me was that process just didn't exist before. So to go from where we where we were to where we are now, um, the elite teams in cross country have a representative, Martin Whiteley, they voted in, which is fantastic. The WGA are, are forming in the the down or the downhills team space, which is which is great. These things didn't exist, you know, really in the first half of last year. The riders are starting to realise that they need some structure. You know, you talked about the union. I think these. I think the riders having a better understanding of who. Who does what? Where responsibility sits? And again, we talked about how to affect change, and how to affect change in a in a in a, in a meaningful way. You know, um, so I think that's a really good group, and it's good that riders are switching on to sometimes the boring administrative process of sport, but it's important. You see, I've got the athlete commission. Uh, you know, we've got the athlete commission representatives on the two working groups we started to form, uh, which will become which will become much more active as we actually from this month take take over, right? And our first events happen through, you know, March, April, May, June. Um, so the UC, UCI Athlete Commission has got two representatives for, for endurance, for cross-country, and then also for downhill. And so we need to really help them uh, with tools to coordinate the rider groups as well, you know. And, uh, yeah, I think stakeholder management is a massive part of what we need to do. I think we've... We've done a lot of it, but there's a, there's a ton more to do, to be honest. And um, I'm proud of what we've achieved collectively. I'm proud of the way a lot of the, the teams and the, and the riders have started to group in the last few months. But we're talking six months here, and we've got many more years to go. And the, the sport's th- over 30 years old, so it's, it's some ingrained process that we'll, we'll need to change, and that just takes takes time. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, right, for us as well as the, whoever else. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge project for sure. We'll Let, get there. Let's, yeah, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> how EWS or EDR or Enduro, whatever you want to term it, like how does that 
fit into all this and how do you see mm. that changing over the next few years both from a sporting perspective and a coverage perspective because a lot of the sort of noise in the in the public domain really has been around the downhill changes we haven't heard a huge amount around the enduro side mm. Good question. So yeah, so EDR, you know, is a, is a three letter term we needed to to create for enduro. So DHI for downhill, XCO for you know cross country, XCC for cross country short track. So EDR is the kind of discipline. EEDR, electric e-bike enduro, for which there's also a, a World Cup, and we're working through that. So I think the e-bike piece will change quite a lot and become you know a, a larger part. As obviously e-bikes become a larger part of everything that we do we as in mountain bikers um <clears throat> so so yeah the e-bike piece will will change quite a bit i think the rule book will be out quite soon we're narrowing that and it's going to go to the same day as in as the as the enduro world cup to give it more prominence but a much smaller field you know very few riders pro only there'll be a an e-bike category within the what we're now calling the open racing which also it covers marathon, but that's open as an open to anybody. So we maintain that amateur pathway, if you like, that participation, which downhill and cross country don't have at the World Cup. So mm-hmm. Enduro World Cup, open racing, e-bike in both. Uh, one day format. So we're going to fix it on a one day format because, you know, like for the, the really cool schedule, I think in Ludenville, I'm really excited about where we've got Enduro World Cup on the Saturday and Downhill World Cup on the Sunday, so it needs to fit into a one day. But Ruri as well, in the office, is we've been really keen that we don't change the real ethos of what the sport always was, which is a, which is a big day. You know, it used to be multiple days. We know that we can't do that anymore. We hope through this World Series and the Pathway events, Enduro Racing can live and breathe in multi-day formats elsewhere, but for World Cup, one-day format, um, big day, slightly smaller field, Masters uh, categories now gone so that we can ex- extend the amount of riding because with more riders on a day, you reduce the riding because there's only so many daylight minutes, right? And we've got e-bike in there as well now. So uh, slightly less riders in the in the Enduro World Cup, um, not many. And again, without Masters, it's not really a change to the main categories. Uh, bigger days and um, a focus on focus on the riding coverage wise still highlights because again live broadcast you've already talked about that a lot in downhill you need to make changes to sport to live broadcast it ultimately usually you know you see like the paris dakar in the 80s is different to the paris dakar now and i think we've done a lot of changes in duro we don't want to make a huge amount more because downhill is the is the live TV product, and that's like that's what people are going to watch. It's one run, fastest, you know, it's perfect. Um, so Enduro is about the riding, so it'll stay highlights, and then we'll see where we can start to bring in more technology, tracking, um, quicker, you know, produce highlights, more more news through the day. The Apple launch that'll have even more in it, and really pulling on that wider, as I said, that data piece across what we're rolling into cross country and downhill. We'll be pulling that over the years into marathon and, and enduro uh, to sort of tell people just what's going on on these massive days. So I think I'm hoping, I'm not hoping, you know, we're in control here. The, the riding will stay very much what people love about or have loved about the EWS. It will just be hopefully told in a bit more of a data-driven way. And then we'll see where we get to the live, but I don't know if that's necessarily the right the right direction 
no, uh, certainly not. Certainly not in year one. Yeah, fair comment. You, you mentioned this, the kind of the accessibility, the pathway side of things, because ultimately, like you say, sort of wanting, I guess, to sharpen the top end to make the sport even more kind of elite. Um, but you alluded to the fact that the pathway for, for downhill certainly isn't really there at the moment. Where do you see the ownership for that? And how do you see that being managed, being grown? How does it get financed? And what's your involvement in that? That is a, that is a good question. Definitely good at the questions. The ownership of that, I think, is, collect, this is collective, right? I think ultimately, with us being at the top of the World Cup, there's a huge responsibility on us, as I talked about with that semi-final, that changes we make cascade down. It always happens. So we need to, we're very, we are and need to be very responsible for how anything we do is amplified. I think we also need to make sure our our structure, and that's where this World Series umbrella component comes in, allows for engagement and integration of all of those pathway or some of those pathway events that we're going to take over the world. I think, I think local mountain bike events and the grassroots is so important to the sport. That, you know, some of that should just never be touched, and the, the amazing things that happen should always happen. But we need to build a way of that of that engaging. You know. Um, with with the World Cup on you know under or out with the World Series, as I said, we've got this open racing and marathon and enduro, so that's a part that we'll control and align with the World Cup on those events, and then let's see where that takes us long term. So I think we've got a big responsibility. I think federations have got a really big responsibility. Of course they do. You know it's in their constitutions. UCI have got responsibility. I think teams and riders have got a big responsibility to attend those events. Because I think that's part of being part of the issue in some ways is that because you talked about finance and the finance and the economics of this whole sport is a huge part of what we need to really look at and we are looking at. If you don't have that attendance by those by those big names at those sometimes the grassroots events, you don't like that fire, whether the value of the event or bringing in that younger rider say, oh, that's where I want to be and that's where my performance needs to go. So we do need to try and make sure that national championships are well attended and well hosted and have a good standard. It's not our job per se, but it is part of our job for sure. So um, it's a collective responsibility, definitely. Yeah, hopefully we see some some progress in that. There's definitely areas where it seems to be better than others, but uh, yeah, lots mm. of work to be done um, and good to have you guys involved in that. Uh, cross countries, Miles, cross country. Yeah, thanks. Sorry, no, I think cross-country is miles ahead in that regard, probably because it's Olympic as well. You've got a lot more federation support, but there's a there's hundreds more events on UCI calendars globally. So I think downhill, we've done it. We've done a good job over the years of the Enduro World Series qualifying structure, which we're kind of re remolding at the moment. Um, we've got to make some changes there, but we want to keep what we learn. Um, but downhill needs to focus in this space more than the other formats. I think a good yeah. good piece of work to be done there for sure. Definitely. So we've we've got eight years, like you say, as a minimum term for you guys. Like where where do you see it getting to? How long do you think it's gonna take before the fans, the riders really start to feel and see some of the benefits of this? And like, yeah, where you know, are all the riders gonna be swanning around with like tag Heuer sponsorships and turn up at races in Ferraris and private jets. Like where, where do you see this all going? 
Well, I think that some of that's up to the riders, right? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, well, we want to hit the, we want to start with a bang, no doubt. You know, as you've mentioned, a couple of rule changes. We've got some really good uh, event plans for this year in terms of on-site, you know, presentation, how the riders are kind of uh, uh, presented and engaged with. Obviously, the website, the app, that's all launching year one. We've got some live data plans and onboards that we're working on that we'll hopefully see, you know, come online through year one. So there's a lot of stuff we really want to we want to hit the ground running with. I think the longer term pieces are around safety, rules, regulations, uh, course design, which will help us, you know, in downhill really standardise a lot of what we've talked about. That's a two three year plan. Calendars, venues, yeah, two three years for sure. Um, because you know that infrastructure piece, which is what a lot of what we need to to look at at a venue to elevate a lot of what we want to do takes time. So you know that's three four years. But I think by you know by twenty twenty six twenty twenty seven, I'd, I'd like to think we're in a really strong place. But I would I would like to think May June this year you'll start to visually notice some change, and we'll go from there. There's a lot of energy and a lot being put into the next few months. Um, so pretty excited to, to show you guys what we've been working on the, the brand launch and the, the rework was just just the start yeah good to hear i mean we hear this soundbite floating about that the team entry fees have doubled but the prize money stayed the same like how far do you feel we need to go through this <laughs> journey before those sorts of things can improve and get to the point where you can you know you can put in prize money that you feel good about you know, sponsorship figures for riders will go up because they're getting more exposure. Like how, how slow burn is that? Do you think some of these things will, will happen quite quickly? Should happen quite quickly. It depends a combination. I think, again, it comes back to that collective. We need to raise the value of the sport by, you know, collectively doing that. The riders need to buy in, the teams need to buy into what we're wanting to achieve to, you know, take this next step. Huge amount of investment going in, huge amount of energy going in on, on, on our side. Huge. Um, and so, you know, the quicker we can all see that and make that step, then of course, then the more, you know, prize money, prize money has to go up. There's no question, right? We've, you know, and, and I think in year two, we really need to be, really need to be looking at that. How quickly we can, you know, change the economics will depend in part on how, you know, uh, how quickly we can get, you know, some of the buy-in, but we're in a really good, we're in a really good space there. Um, we'll just, and it's definitely a priority, but uh, I wouldn't like to put a date on it, but it's uh, it's something we have to do. But there needs to be, as I said, a fundamental rewrite of some of the way in which the processes and, and where value is attributed at the moment, um, which we're starting on. And uh, it's, it's year one of a long path. So we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. And you've got some test events coming up pretty soon. Can you tell us a little bit about like why you're doing those? What is it that you're that you're testing effectively? Yeah, I mean, so we haven't publicly launched the downhill test event yet. The, the cross-country test event is actually, we're piggybacking a, a pretty major cross-country event that takes place in Banyoles near Girona. We'll be there with a sort of a live broadcast, a, a shrunk-down live broadcast team um, looking at a couple of things that we want to try. Uh, team engagement, there's some course marking pieces that we want to change, so there'll be elements of that that we'll just be rolling out, looking at how they look on camera, how they work with the athletes, um, some timing, some data integration, just using that live race because you never replicate a live race 
for a couple of uh, a couple of things behind the scenes. So you won't really see a huge amount in the public domain from that. It will allow us to start, you know, uh, engaging with with some of the cross country riders and teams from a content perspective, which is going to be fantastic. Um, so that's the cross country one. That's the end of February in Spain. And then in downhill, we're still kind of finalizing the detail. It won't be a live broadcast piece, but I think long term, I think there'll be really nice media opportunities and nice ways for us to get new things in front of riders before they turn up at the start in the first World Cup. So I think one of the big things there will be anything we want to put on a bike or a rider to use. We talk about like onboard cameras, for example. Uh, we want to make sure they're in the hands of riders and teams before they get to round one. And then we can work through any changes that are required. Uh, the big one for downhill will be course marking. You know, if we're, if we're, we're working on a project of removing course tape at the moment because it, A, it's single-use plastic, whether they say it's compostable or not, biodegradable, and it doesn't look great. You know, it's not it's not particularly safe all the time. Um, I don't want a rider, we don't want a rider turning up around one and going, hang on, what does this look like? I've raced downhill for a decade and it's never looked like this before. So test events will give us the opportunity to work with the riders, especially on the ground. Um, with with changes like that and then long term if we can make it an annual thing I think it would be a brilliant thing pre-season that works well in other sports get people together in a more relaxed environment to, to talk through things collectively and it comes back to that piece you talked about stakeholder engagement at a race everyone's there for a job it's a really hard time to actually have any really meaningful dialogue when everyone's under pressure in their own camps um, test events will be where we'll just be able to have that that working that working relationship. So yeah, we've got, as I said, cross country soon. Downhill is planned for, for later on uh, in April. We're still working through detail there. And then long-term, I hope these can become annual, annual, annual get togethers in the, in the, in the quiet months of winter. All right. Well, before we wrap up, I'm just kind of keen to hear like from you personally on how you feel it's all going, because it's a huge project. You're building a team from scratch you're putting yourself out there in front of the mountain bike world to be ripped apart in whatever way they see fit. And there definitely has been, um, you know, significant noise and criticism across multiple forums, websites, and all sorts of things. Like how are you finding the process so far? It's a huge project, Deep, deeply exciting. We've got, we're working with some incredible individuals they really are. And there's a lot of really, it's, it's sometimes, difficult and frustrating to see what projects are being worked on and ideas that we want to roll out, you know, down the line and, and you can't talk about them. Um, but I think overall I'm incredibly honored, I think to be in the position and that's not saying that like a, like a politician genuinely to be sort of in this position of helping to really affect some really meaningful change across, across the sport, you know, and bringing it into, into that next step not going to be easy. It's not been easy. Uh, absolutely not going to make the right decision at every turn. I think, um, I think that would be, uh, I think we need to avoid letting the ego get in the way there and just, you know, saying, look, this is where we are and what we believe. I think, you know, hopefully already shown that, um, not, not adverse to making big, uncomfortable decisions if we feel it's the right thing, um, and dealing with the, the ramifications. But I think ultimately taking everybody or as many people as we can with us, it's a, it's a big journey with ambitious goals. It's It's been a relatively sleepless year, but I think we're moving at real pace now. And the, the energy around it here is uh, is really good. It's picking up. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a long time to make some changes. And I think 
I think the motives are really, really correct, you know, and everybody across every different department. And that's what really makes me kind of excited. It's, um, yeah, we've, we've got some difficult things. And, and some of the online comments, I think, have been uh, tuned in and out of them. But I think, you know, some of them have been fair. Some of them, you know, like actually often agree with, you know, safety needs to improve. Yes. Finances need to improve. Yes. Totally agree. Podcast. Let's make this better. Totally agree. Downhill is amazing. Yes. Let's show more of it. We're actually generally on the same page. We've just got a job of actually making it happen. Some of that can't happen overnight. Some of it can't happen without uncomfortable conversations. But that's what we're here to do. We're here to we're here to we're here to take this to take this project on and deliver it. Um, and uh, let's see. Ask me that in three years' time. <laughs> I, I will, Chris. I will. Good stuff, man. Well, yeah. <laughs> thank you for taking time out. I know you're a very busy man uh, now and for the next eight years at least. So thank you for making some time to sit down and chat. I'm sure the listeners will appreciate hearing this from the horse's mouth because there is a lot of speculation and it's good to hear your take on things. If people want to follow um, progress over the next few months and through the season, where should they be looking? So the, the website's now launched as of as of last week, www.ucimtbworldseries.com. There's a newsletter sign up there as well. Uh, we'll be rolling out more things over the next few months. As I mentioned, an app will be online at least by, by June, hopefully by, by around on Nova Mesto. But yeah, sign up to that. Follow all the social media channels, UCI MTB World Series, um, and we'll we'll see where we'll see where this 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 journey takes us. But yeah, thanks for thanks for the time today. Thanks for the the questions and the yeah, having me. All right, that's it for this episode with Chris. I really hope you've enjoyed it and that it gave you a clearer picture on the plans that Discovery ESO have for the Mountain Bike World Series. Don't forget, if you want to watch the episode, then you can do that over at youtube.com forward slash at downtime podcast. And there's a link to that in the show notes too. There's gonna be a lot more awesome content coming your way over the course of 2023. So make sure you're following the podcast by hitting that button in your podcast app or head into downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can also get a bit extra downtime by signing up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that by telling your friends about the show, sharing the podcast on your social media, grabbing yourself some merch at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop, subscribing to our biannual mountain bike journal, Downtime EP at downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP, or leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. That's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. (laughs) 